This is Scott Richmond and Arnie Sherman. You're listening to What Do You Know on News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. Arnie Sherman, Sunday morning. Good to see you. It's great to see you, Scott. It's good to be back on the air. It's good to feel the crispness of uh, uh, winter coming in. Uh, you know, Montana. still playing football, at least when we recorded this. As of this. this taping. Right. I went to the game against Furman. The only time that the Montana Grizzlies played Furman was for the national championship in 2001 under Joe Glenn playing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I flew down to Chattanooga to go to the game, and we won as I recall, 12 to 7. Wow. It was, a, it was a, not a barn burner, but it was a tough battle. They played a very unorthodox offense back then. And so uh, it was, a, 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 and they had pretty good defense as well. And, and we, but that was our national championship game with quarterback Johnny Montana, as he used to be called. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. And looking forward, hopefully, as of, uh, as of when we air this, we've, uh, we've beaten Furman again, the Furman Paladins, and we're on to the next round. Here home at yeah. Washington Grizzly Stadium. Yeah, and we keep playing until we go to you know Frisco, Texas, hopefully for the national championship. Well, and so let's talk about our guest because there's some uh, there's a southern connection, right? <laughs> there's a southern connection. We have uh, you know we've never had a show about jewelry, you know, and it's an interesting topic. It, you know, to me actually, if you start thinking about it, how how have traditions changed? You know, when I was a kid growing up, you used to give a girl an, a pin, and then you get an engagement ring, and then you get a, a wedding ring, and then on certain anniversaries, you would buy jewelry. Jewelry was a primary focus. And I think some of that has changed a bit. I think it has. It certainly has in the watch arena. There's a, there's a clear, you know, um, you know, break between certain people who, who value high-end watches or wearing, you know, a timepiece on their arm, men or women, and others who say, hey, I can tell the time from my phone. What do I need a watch for? Or my or the or the iWatch or whatever the right. Apple Watch. And why do I need a diamond that's you know twenty thousand dollars on my ring to prove that I'm married? And some people who buy, you know, who get expensive jewelry, afraid to wear it because of you know crime in certain places. You don't want to go around with a bling around your neck, walking around in, in you know twenty cities Theft. in the city. Yeah. So there's all kinds of things I think that have changed about the jewelry business and. Uh, I'm interested to find out what what's going on. What what are the trends? How are they kind of, how are they uh, you know marketing themselves now to a to a new generation? Because it's younger people usually are, are buying you know the traditional wedding and anniversary kinds of gifts for their uh, that, that it's it's time for them to do that and for their partner yeah for their partners and uh, it has it has that changed? I've always the jewelry business has changed a ton. Our guest is Michael Bonner. He's the owner, co-owner of L and M Fine Jewelry. He is a transplant, Arnie, like we are. He's though coming from the south. He moved here from Memphis. Memphis. So we have a lot to talk Elvis's to. Elvis's town. Elvis's town. He. Uh, it's a family business. He is an interesting guy. Um, I've spent a fair amount of time with him over the last couple of months, and. I really want to know what makes someone move from a place like Memphis, Tennessee to Missoula, Montana, because this is not a place you just randomly pick. No, and to move get into to. that business, which is, a, which is a changing business. A changing business. Anyway, after we get back, our guest will be Michael Bonner from L&M Fine Jewelry. Back after these words. All right, Arnie, we are back with Michael Bonner from L&M Fine Jewelry. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know you're new to Missoula, 
We've been here about know. two years, or we're just finishing up year number two right now. And you came here from Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. And what did you just close your eyes and point to someplace on the map and end up here? What was the, what was the genesis of get, getting here from Memphis, Tennessee? You know, that's a great question. I've asked myself that a couple of times. <laughs> Life was great, and we were we were doing well. And through a mutual acquaintance of mine and my predecessor. I learned about the business. I said, you know, we're not really interested. Life's good for us right now. I'm an old man cruising into retirement. And he said, no, you really need to go look at this. So my wife and I flew out here. And in one day, we decided, yes, we'll buy the store and we'll move to Montana. We loved it that much. That's, that's you know, that's not an atypical story. I, I bought a house in Montana basically the day after I came to Montana. Well, I understand that now. I would have, you, I would have never thought it's one of the few states in the union that I have never been to, but uh, we flew out here. We just loved it, and yeah. here we are. The psychology of literally, because the same thing happened to me. Right. I came here one time. I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. So, what do we think we all have in common, right? <laughs> Besides being crazy. Well, he doesn't know you, so I can tell him what he has, you have. But in no, common but now. what? Let's identify <laughs> what it, I mean. Are all around the same age, too, because Arnie, correct me if I'm wrong. You're old, but you moved here when you were how old? 49. I was 45. Right. Okay. Maybe a little older, but not much. I will be 60 next week. 60? You are, then you've got cojones because you came (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's Italian for... uh, Yes, crazy. Yes, crazy. (laughs) I bailed you out there. That's right. (laughs) But what, but, you know, at, at a time in life when it is easier just to kind of Go into cruise mode. Mm-hmm. What was the challenge? What was the what was the allure? You and your wife, Landy. What was the you know the L and L and M? What was the allure? Well, she's the boss. First of all, that's yeah, why she gets the, the first billing. But she had been telling me for years. I was vice president of the largest independent retailer in the mid south, and she'd been telling me for years. You know, we should really do this for ourselves instead of for someone else. And it just never happened. It never felt right. And I'm, did you work with her at your other job? No, she worked in eyewear um, in Memphis. Really? So she'd never really been in the jewelry business. Say a few months that she worked with me several years ago. Uh, I've done it for nearly thirty years, and so when we came, the, this opportunity just happened, and it was kind of her push to say. This is what we've been talking about. This is what we've wanted. Uh, we're not getting any younger, and boy, do I know that. So here we are. She's the boss for sure. Well, here, here's what I think. Yeah, what? Knowing what? you and hearing this story and knowing my story is it's a timing issue in life. You get a choice point. You're at a point where you've been doing something, you know, and it's good. And, right. But, but it's, it's not giving you the juice that you, you always had before, and it's mm-hmm. – you know, and you get to the point that you're afraid if you don't do something, you may get, you may never be able to do something at some point. You know, and maybe too late. So an opportunity comes up, and you say, you know, what, for me, what happened was there was this opportunity. I got approached by this opportunity, and I said to myself, you know, if I don't do this, if I don't come here to run the World Trade Center at the university and teach at the business school and this package offer, somebody else is going to take this, and and they won't be available for twenty years. And I wasn't completely ready. But I made the decision, and I did it for, you know, 17 years. I heard someone say a few months ago, one of the worst things in life to have is regret. Yeah. Right. And so. No regrets, No right? regrets. Here we are. We love it. We'll, we'll be here. They'll plant us in the ground here <laughs> when it falls. Uh, but 
Were you an outdoorsman? Did you like did you like the hunting, fishing? Is any of that of interest to you? Uh <laughs> neither, uh, neither, me neither. Me neither. neither. It's very similar. If it causes me to get my hands dirty, you know, I get laughed at if I try to do that. But we now have gotten out and getting into all of those things. I had elk How great the, is it? It's I had elk for the first time a few months ago. Someone brought some of that. Pretty We've good. Had, uh, all that we're experiencing and taking in all that. That is here because it's just so it's just so great. Yeah, it's better than going to Gatlinburg, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so let me ask you this: You're in retail, but you're not in jewelry. And jewelry is a very specific kind of retail business, which right. has gone through lots of changes. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid growing up, my mother's brother was a diamond cutter, you know, in uh, you know in New York in the diamond district, oh, and boy. so I knew a little bit about that. That's not the same business that exists today anymore. No, it's not. It's a, it's a big difference and. The the thing that I one of the things that I love about the jewelry business is it is still one of those businesses where millions of dollars a day are transacted on a handshake or yeah. a verbal handshake. Mm-hmm. And you know, honor and integrity for us is very important because uh, you know those diamond cutters in New York. Uh, if you if you do your business with honor and integrity, they will continue to do business with you. If you don't, it becomes a very small world, and that word travels very quickly. So we've been very blessed over the years to have some great relationships, and in having great relationships, we're able to buy things uh, perhaps better than someone else who doesn't have that relationship. And I'm always a I'm always a firm believer: three nickels is better than one dime. So if I can get it and sell it at a lesser price, right. a, a better value then I'm happy to do that. Huh. So that piece of the business is flowing like that, but, but co- consumer choice has changed a lot. Yes. There, are, there are, I have nieces and nephews who don't wear wristwatches, for example, because they say I have a phone that I can tell the time with. During COVID, I know people who got married and they didn't have big ceremonies, and they said, well, if we're not going to have a big ceremony, why spend money on a diamond ring and all the, you know, all of the, paraphernalia that's associated with that we'll just you know we'll do that at some later point so so how has the how has this unfolded over the last few years for the industry sure there's been a there's been a number of changes one of the things that we've seen in the last few years coming in are lab mined or lab created diamonds right Uh, those are a wonderful alternative to someone who doesn't want to spend or doesn't have the money or the means that it's you know and i i always kind of encourage younger kids coming through, you know, don't spend, don't go into debt, don't spend a ton of money on something. Your life is going to get better as you go along. Mm. You know, old man wisdom, but, uh, you know, with our, our situation is going to get better. So why not wait until I can better myself in life for me and my partner or me and my spouse to get, get to that point in life? Uh, a lot of the higher-end goods for instance, you know, we, we talk about jewelry and watches. A lot of the higher-end goods, watches especially, are becoming more and more unattainable. Uh, the way they do business is different. So sure. the supply is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Demand all, is very high. There's all these social media um, points where you see people trying to wheel and deal, you know, Rolexes, uh, you know, all the expensive high-end watches as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. So to speak, and that and and you know and you see some of the you know outcomes of how do you tell if it's a fake? 
Because a Rolex these days is, you know, it's a, it's almost like a commodity. They're priced from anywhere from what six thousand to a hundred to two hundred fifty million. I mean, yes. you can have a million dollar or an Audemars Piaget or one of the other expensive brands. Are you in the watch business? And and if you are, if if, if you're a new if the new incarnation of where Adair's was now in the watch business, mm-hmm. how do you reference that or compete with that? I am not in the watch business uh, by choice. <laughs> there are a couple of reasons. Number one is just on the higher end watches, uh, much of a demand here. So you look at the geography of where they're selling. They're generally selling in larger uh, areas. Right. And because of the secondary market has driven price up, mm. uh, there's there's just so many things going on there that you become, I think the word you used was a hustler, and you know, I just don't want to be that guy. Right. Uh, we have access to everyday affordable watches. So if there is a watch that you want, I can have it in in a couple of days as long as you don't care that it has that special name brand on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have from my relationship and years in the business, I have friends who sell all of those watches. Uh, so I can refer you to, you know, if you must have a Rolex or you must have a Richard Mill or whatever, I have friends in the industry that I can refer you to and let you deal directly with them. But yeah, the market, the world in, in buying has changed so much. Uh, and I think Rolex had a lot to do with that because they pulled back on the supply. Yes. And because the supply went out, the secondary market went nuts. So you can you can buy a new watch for twelve thousand dollars, or you can get that same watch five years old for twenty thousand. Right, because you can't buy the new one because exactly. they pulled the inventory back. Right. So what what are you specializing in? We're doing a lot of engagement uh, engagement rings. We love to do. I love to celebrate. You know, my my philosophy is we we have a store full of things that no one really needs. So we're celebrating special <laughs> occasions in life. So when you come in, we want to celebrate with you from the start in that engagement, mm-hmm. right on up through birthday gifts, anniversary gifts, all of the other gifts and special occasions in life. And if we get it right the first time, you'll come back the next time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I love to sit down. We're very, very um, used to doing custom work. So a lot of stores you go in, you see what they have in the in the showcase, and you pick out from what they have in the showcase. Well, you may be able to come into our store and you find four different things you like. We can take bits and pieces from each of them, modify all of that together, and within a day or two, I can have you a computer drawing of what your new ring's going to look like. Are there still craftsmen around? I know it's hard to find somebody even to repair a watch if you have a good a good watch in Omega or something of, of that caliber. It's mm-hmm. hard to even find a watchmaker who will work on it. Mm-hmm. Can you find craftspeople that can do that? Yes. All of our, all of our jewelry repairs are done in-house. We have a goldsmith in the store, so she does, and she is a fantastic craftswoman. She's just really good. I'm so proud of her. And so when you come in, a lot of places around don't have that. Mm-hmm. Well, what they're doing is then they have to send it out to someone else, so your property leaves. Well, we know what happens when you ship things around, and God forbid uh, you send something out right. that's uh, an heirloom or something, and it gets lost or whatever. We don't have to worry about that because we do it in-house. Uh, watch repairs. I have one of my very, very good friends. Uh, my son calls him Uncle Roger, uh, who is a trained, certified Rolex technician and does watch repairs and whatever. So we do send send them to him. But there is no one here who, who can do that. Right. So we send it insured and hope hope for the best. 
I was going to say, one of the greatest things about the jewelry business is it's a relationship business. To your point, if you get it right the first time, you've got a relationship potentially for life. Mm-hmm. What two-part question, part one, when you left Memphis, those relationships, what did, they, what did people say when you said, I'm moving to Missoula, Montana? And the second question is, being here now two years, have you been able to establish some of these new relationships with people from Montana? Sure. Um, so for my Memphis customers, uh, I have the, – the world is very small because of technology. Right. So I have a lot of them on my cell phone. And, in fact, earlier today I uh, just wrapped up a couple of gifts to send out. So I get phone calls and, and online things, and we, we stay in touch with friends and good customers who, frankly, did become friends. Some of my best friends started out as customers. Uh, so, so we still do some of that, uh, back and forth between Memphis and Florida and all other places where we've been. And then the second part of your question, the people of Missoula have been so incredibly welcoming to us, uh, all, all around when we came in and we've been able to establish some really great relationships. We've been out, we, we go out to dinner, we've been to the football games, we go to the basketball games and we've made some really good friends here. And if we, you know, if you gauge by how, what kind of job we're doing, look at our Google reviews. Uh, we're getting right. some wonderful Google reviews, and I'm so proud of that. Our, our team is doing a great job. And I was going to say, that's a complete change, having Google reviews. Nobody, the store wouldn't talk about that. You know, if 20 years ago or 25 years ago, it would be, uh, it would be um, a totally different thing. You would just have to promote it on the radio or TV pretty much. Well, my son is in the business with us. We, we, we say, you know, Carson, Landy's the L, Michael, I'm the M, and we call Carson the and. and uh, <laughs> the ampersand. Yeah, the ampersand. And anytime I bring up anything to do with technology, you know, I'm going to do this or that. No, Dad, let me do it. Let yeah. me do it. So I'm the old guy. But, but yeah, technology's been a, been a wonderful thing. So you moved back a couple of generations ago just following the migration of the jewelry industry. And I can base it on personal experience and friends. There you would go to a store you knew, mm-hmm. a jewelry store you knew. If it was, might have been in a mall or it might have been a, you know, a branded product like you, Tiffany's or Cartier or right. you know, if you were at that level. If not, you know, Macy's. I mean, they all carry jewelry, all, right. all the big box stores. Even Costco, you could buy $20,000 diamond mm-hmm. ring at Costco. Mm-hmm. So nowadays it seems to me that the market is mixed between the branded things like Cartier and, and Tiffany, where, you, where, you, where you're drawn to the store. You're not drawn to a particular product. You're drawn to the store. And then some other people who do heavy advertising, like uh, Daniel Yerman, or, uh, which you can buy in many different stores, or John mm-hmm. Hardy, right. that does you know, jewelry, or uh, you know, Costco, or even uh, you know, online right. sites that, where you never even have been. There are, there are a number of those. How do you find your way, you know, to the customer, the right customer in in that kind of milieu, in that kind of environment, with so many different options, and just going to the downtown jewelry store. Well, it goes it goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier about relationships and getting out and meeting people. You know, if we if we stay inside our store and wait for people to come, that's you know they're going right. to shop online. It's much more convenient. But if we get out and we we create relationships, uh, do you want to spend that much money on a computer? You know that where you're where you have no personal connection, you have no real relationship, you have no warranty, you have no guarantee, you don't know who's on the other end of that. So we want to create the relationships 
to where you want to come in. And those are the people that I want to do business with. We choose to be a hometown jeweler, not a national brand. If you come in our store, you'll find very few brand names. The reason is most of those brands don't create their own goods. Someone else creates it for them, and then we slap a name on it, and the price goes up. Mm -hmm. I can have access to most anything of whatever quality that you want, and you know we we don't infringe on copyright. Some people have things patented or copyrighted. We right. don't infringe on that. But if you want, you know, if you want to spend twenty thousand dollars, I can get you a fifty thousand dollar piece of jewelry for twenty thousand dollars because I'm not going to put somebody's brand name on it. I'm not buying it from the brand. And you know, brand names have national advertising and national marketing programs. Well, guess what? That costs a lot of money. Yeah, it does. Who pays for that? The yes, consumer yeah. does. <laughs> So that's why we like to stay local. We like to stay here. We like to be a hometown jeweler and take care of the people in our, in our backyard. You mentioned you specialize in engagement rings, and, of course, that usually leads, hopefully, to wedding rings and other mm -hmm. things. So that's, we're talking about diamonds, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of diamond-related questions. One, are diamonds holding their value? I mean, if somebody you know, later on in life needs the money or they get divorced and they want to sell it, is the diamond itself holding value or gaining value? Um, secondly, there was a whole thing, and it still continues, about blood diamonds and where the diamonds are being mined and, you know, are they being mined by children and, you know, and all that sort of thing. You know, and then, and then thirdly, you had already mentioned, you know, you can have lab-made diamonds, and how sure. do they compare? So tell me about the diamond piece of the, of the jewelry industry. Sure. First of all, are diamonds holding their value? Yes, they are. In my nearly 30-year career, the diamond market has fallen once which was just a few months back, uh, but it regained very quickly and has year over year over year, the diamond market has grown. So value in a naturally mined diamond uh, continues to go up. Blood diamonds, that made a great movie back in the 80s. Right. <laughs> uh, that was a wonderful thing. Uh, that is so far in the past, especially in the U.S. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. In the United States, any diamond that comes into the United States goes through what's called the Kimberley process. Kimberley is the, was the major mine, diamond mine. They came up with a process that ensures that any diamond coming into the United States has to have a pedigree all the way back to the mine so that huh. we know it did not come from a conflict region. Mm -hmm. It came from a conflict-free region where people are ethically treated well-paid, compensated for their work, and, and things are done the right way from, from mining it all the way through the cutting process and all the way through the delivery to the retailer. So that's, that's pretty standard in, in the United States. Lab-grown diamonds have been around for quite some time, but they're just now gaining in popularity. Uh, from, the, from the structure, if you get into the, the chemical, chemistry, all of that structure, uh, we have diamond testers. If I test a lab-grown diamond, it will test as a diamond. It's the same properties. Mm -hmm. They're just uh, over thousands and millions of years what's happened. Uh, we've learned to recreate that in a, in a laboratory setting as with many other things, and you can do it in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks. Like cloning. Yeah, you don't basically. need Superman anymore. <laughs> the, the wonderful thing about that is uh, they're incredibly less expensive than a naturally mined diamond. Now, I always tell someone, 
if you're looking at a beautiful diamond that you want to have as a piece of jewelry and you want to love it and you want it to sparkle, you want it to do all of those things that a diamond does for you, a lab-grown diamond is a great alternative, a great option for you to consider. If you're looking for something as an investment, we don't know what the lab-grown diamond market is going to do, but it's pretty low. Uh, the naturally mined diamonds are continually rising in cost. So from an investment standpoint, go with a naturally mined diamond. Uh, from an economic standpoint, the lab-grown diamond gives you a great alternative. And do you even have uh, zircon- uh, you know, cubic zirconia. zirconium diamonds? We don't. Uh, you know, that's just, that is, for lack of a better word, that's a piece of glass. Right. So, so without without uh, you know holding you to it, what's what what is the price difference between a let's say a one carat, you know naturally mined diamond and a lab one carat diamond? Um, a natural mined will be probably uh, seven to ten times more mm-hmm. than a lab grown. And so there is a huge difference. There's a big difference. Yes, that's that's interesting. My grandmother, Kathy's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, who was pretty much blind before she passed, when she died at 94, she literally could look at my wife from a distance and see her finger and see if she had on a fake ring or a real ring. She couldn't see, but she knew. And well, she was always right. Always yeah. right. Well, was a certain, there was a certain generation that valued that. That was, that was really the pinnacle of determining whether you had status or, you know, you were... You yeah. Were. I remember when my... My grand, my grandmother was the first woman employee at Underwood Typewriter in New York. There were 500 men and one woman. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather met her when he was 16. He was six, she was 16 and he was 17 or 18. And she said she would not marry him. They started going out until he was able to buy her a one-carat diamond ring. And he saved up for seven years. Seven years. Seven years before he was able to, and she waited seven years to get, because that to her was a, you know, was a, a sort of a, a gate to, you know, to her future. If you could get me a one carat, if you, if you love me enough to give me a one carat ring and save up for it and do that, then you're the right man for me. Well, that, that's a big deal because, you know, in our grandparents' time, a quarter carat was the average engagement ring size. Yeah. And then it moved up to right. half a carat. Then uh, the marketing geniuses came up with, I don't know, it's two and a half, three and a half, sometimes <laughs> your, your annual salary. Right. Uh, and then the, Kardashians, then the Kardashians came along yeah, right. in 10, and 20, now it's just, 25 you know, carats. I, I, I want one bigger than my finger. Yeah. So uh, I think that that marketing campaign makes no sense anymore because it's almost, it, it, how do you deal with it? People can't even buy a house. So now right. Like, right. So how do you educate some younger people about you know, where they're, where they're in less traditional marriages, and you also have, you know, gay marriage. You have all sorts of permutations of what was the traditional pathway mm-hmm. to, to life partnership. How do you educate them about, you know, the value of, of uh, diamonds and engagement rings and wedding rings and wedding bands and then let's anniversary get, gifts? That, before you know, he answers, let's do a quick ID because yes. he's the authority. Yeah. It's Michael Bonner. He's the co-owner with his wife, Landy, of L&M Fine Jewelry. Michael, Arnie's question, how do you tell some, how do you educate a young whippersnapper? (laughs) Well, that's a good question. What we find that works better than anything is don't try to tell any elaborate stories. Don't try to get 
uber creative, tell the truth, okay? If you want to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, I am happy to take your money. We're going to get you something beautiful that fits in the budget that you want. But if you're trying to do it just for vanity purposes, let me show you some alternatives. Let me show you some options because what is most important for us is that you're happy, that you're pleased. Because if you go out and you feel like we didn't treat you well or we pushed something on you that you didn't want or we overcharged you, you're going to tell a bunch of people that if you have a bad experience. If you have a good experience, you're also going to tell people. And I would much True. rather have a store full of people who've had a good experience. So I'm just I'm interested in that person in front of me having it, a good time. It speaks to your character and your you. ethical. So let's let's go back a little bit. I did a little research, our research team. Michael Bonner, where are you originally from? Because you went to the University of Kentucky. He was a music major. Really? I want to even understand. He was a wildcat music what major. Does that mean? First of all, where are you from? Give us, furnish us with some background on you. Originally born and raised in Florida. Florida uh, where? In Hillsborough County, just outside of Tampa. Okay. So lived in on both sides of the coast for quite some time, all of my growing up years. Uh, went away to University of Kentucky. Got my degrees in music. Uh, were you there when were, Rupp, you, were you there when Rupp was the basketball coach? Not quite that old. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I can remember music, that was uh, music. What was the love of music? How well, did that? I, I mean, my okay, my father is a pastor. Was a pastor all okay. of my childhood, and so I sang in the church choirs and whatever. Well, all I knew when I went to college was I wanted to sing in the choir. So I went and auditioned for the choir, and they asked me what my major was, and I told them I didn't have one yet. And they said, well, based on your audition, if you major in music, we'll pay for school. So I said, where do I sign? <laughs> um, so I got scholarships to go into the music program and got my degrees in music. was very fortunate to uh, get a contract in the opera world and uh, did that for some years. Well, uh, where did you do that? Yeah. Like, Don't let that go so quickly. Where did that happen? Well, we ended up all over the world. My, my contract was through the Young Artist Development Program at the Met. And, wow. Uh, wow. Then impressive. Uh, we got, I, I got sent all over the world, just wherever, wherever things were. Were you a baritone? Uh, bass baritone. Bass yeah. baritone. Wait, when do, what years was this? This was back in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s. Right so, after school. Right after school. So what part did you cover the most, and which part did you end up playing that you liked the most? Well, back at that time, I tell you, I made a whole lot of money being Figaro. Figaro. <laughs> so, uh, oh, that's good. So and, and and things of that nature, and it was you know it was a wonderful world. But uh, did you spend a fair a amount of time of, in Manhattan? Uh, I did not, believe it or not. It, uh, one of the one of the things I I never wanted to live there. Uh, so the telephone was our friend, and back then we had fax machines. Right. So the telephone and the fax machine were our friends. Uh, I did a lot of my vocal coaching and what what have you. I did uh, with the faculty at University of Kentucky. Okay. Uh, so. And you had to sing these parts in the originally written language, right? Like the, Yes. The, yeah. Figaro's in Italian. Yes. You learn how to do a lot of languages, Italian, German. I didn't do a lot of French, but Italian and German, and uh, I can't speak the language, but... Uh, you can sing the parts. You learn, yeah, you learn how to do the parts. So That's incredible. Uh, That's that an was, incredible background. That was a long time How did time you get ago. into jewelry? I had left the opera world. I was playing golf. 
And when you say playing golf, playing golf like professionally? Oh, no, no. no. Oh, I'm you're playing golf yeah, I was like just Arnie playing golf. and I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just out there playing. And I, I have a feeling he's a good I, golfer. I went on with this South guy. Florida. He's not that good, believe it. Uh, <laughs> but I was out with this guy one day, and I, I was, I'm bored to death. I'm playing golf four or five days a week, and I'm just bored. And he said, great, you're hired. <laughs> and I said, really, what am I hired doing? And he handed me his business card, and he was in the jewelry business, and uh, oh, so you're kidding! That's what, how I started. In what the was that? Business. What was the name of that company? Uh, Mayors. Oh, Mayors May- Jewelers. That's, Mayors a, that's a big chain uh, in the South. It was uh, at that time, and uh, they were still independently owned. And I, I worked there for. I was there about four months, and that same gentleman answered the phone one day, and he said, "No, I'm not, but here's someone who might be," and he handed me the phone, and it was a jewelry store on the other coast of Florida. Uh, looking for a manager. Where? Uh, Jupiter, Boca? In uh, <laughs> just south of Boca. Oh. Uh-huh. So like Delray Pompano. Beach or uh, Pompano. Lighthouse, Lighthouse Point. Point. Pompano, yeah. Lighthouse Point yeah. area. Yeah. And uh, so they were, I guess they were crazy enough, and I was fortunate enough that they hired me with four months of experience. Oh, yeah. And that started everything going, and it's just <laughs> been a, an upward Did you like that then. part of Florida? I loved it. Yeah. Now it, I've been back since then because that's been many years ago. I've been back since then. It's too crowded down there. Right. Now. It's crazy. So yeah. I have to ask you this. This just comes to mind. You're down there. There are a lot of snowbirds and a lot of retirees at that part in that part of the world. Did there were a lot of people coming in, bringing in jewelry, wanting to sell used jewelry? And did you get into that business? Yes, there were. No, we did not get into that business. As they say about South Florida, the further south you go, the further north you get. Right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, but, yeah, a lot of Definitely. people bringing things down. And, and then I, We made some great relationships with, with people from there as well. How did you end up in Memphis? Through a recruiter, a recruiting agency uh, that had an opening, and they recruited me up to Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I went to Pine Bluff, Arkansas, knowing that I was going to be there. There was a store opening in Memphis, and I would go to that store and open that store. Ultimately. Uh, with that same company. So through, through that working, I got worked uh, from being the manager at the Pine Bluff, Arkansas store to becoming the vice president of the company. Uh, what was the name of that company? Uh, it's called, and it's a funny name for jewelry, but it's called Sissy's Log Cabin. <laughs> Uh, I have that here. That's which is a great story. One day say. we'll talk about that story. She's a, she is a wonderful Sissy. woman. Sissy is a wonderful woman. So you spend almost all of your life in the southeast part of the United States. That's correct. And now you're in Missoula, Montana, and you wake up on uh, December 2nd or 3rd, and there's three, four inches of snow on the ground. It's yeah. 18 degrees. Did you say to yourself at all, what am I doing here? Well, no. I actually, my wife and I both, we, we became like little kids, and we ran outside and played in it. Uh, <laughs> That's what we did. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all new for us, and, and it's just, I mean, we were at the football game Saturday night. My mother actually went. My mother lives with us. My parents have lived with us for about 13 or 14 years. Uh, my father passed a couple of years ago, but mom's still with us. And mom and I went to the football game Saturday night. Wow. And sat there in the snow and 
Uh, you, ha- you have the you had the quintessential Missoula experience, a Grizz game on a Saturday night with screaming crazy yeah. people. Crazy, and, crazy. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And mom said, you know, that's the first time I've ever sat in the snow and watched a football game. And then she looked at me and shook her finger in my face and said, don't ever stop having firsts. That's good. That's a good thing. <laughs> at 80 years old, yeah. nearly. So. Good for her. Our guest yeah. is Michael Bonner. He is the owner of L&M Fine Jewelry. Where did the L, when did you meet the L in the relationship? Where did Landy come into the picture? Well, you keep asking stories with long answers. So, Always. as I told you earlier, my dad was a pastor. And between our 7th and 8th grade year, our churches went to a church camp together in North Carolina. We were both in Florida. But we went to a church camp in North Carolina. And we were, we were 7th grade, 8th graders. And she was pretty cute. So, you know, we... We snuck out, snuck around as much as we could, and so after and, and that, you were a baritone opera singer. I mean, she's not going right. to run into one of those that easily. Well, you know, we we come, we came back. We lived about an hour away from each other, and that was back in the day when you actually wrote letters to yes. each other. Yes, communication. So we were mailing letters back and forth, and then uh, fast forward, I moved. Uh, we we moved to uh, the same town where she was our junior year in high school. And But at that point, our lives had gone in different directions. We really hardly even spoke junior and senior year. Uh, she says it was because I rode a moped, and she wouldn't, <laughs> she wouldn't date somebody on a moped. Scooter. But uh, that as it may. Uh, then fast forward, they're preparing our 20-year high school reunion. And I find oh, wow. out I'm in Lighthouse Point. She's in West Palm Beach. Had no idea. So you know, I, I drove up there and uh, decided let's – you know, let's go to the reunion together because she, I wasn't going to go. And wow. she says, we'll sit together. And so we sat at the reunion. And then on the way, she said, I remember after church camp, our church, our youth groups got together and we went to Disney World. And you and I were sitting in the back of the bus and I wanted you to kiss me so bad and you didn't. Oh and so I God. pulled over right there beside the road in Lake Wales, Florida. And the rest is history. Here we are. That's a good That's one. That's a great story. <laughs> That's a very listen. We, none of our guests have come with those those stories. No. My high school, my high school heartthrob. I caught a kid making out with the high school history teacher, our history teacher. <laughs> that was the end of our relationship. But that thought, that's all. That's a whole other story. Yours has a much more happy ending than that one. <laughs> well, look, you know the interesting thing is, is that we are all again. We all three of us have something in common. We all came here when there was something that say pushed us here. Yeah, and we all came on short short notice so yeah. with a you know a short fuse. So, so what does Carson think of Montana? You know, that's your son. One of the joys uh, when we first started, Carson said, "I'm not going to Montana." He right. was at University of Tennessee. He he graduated from there. Life was great. They were in Knoxville, and then all of a sudden he said, "You know, Dad, I've thought about it, and if it's going to be a family business, I need to get in on that." So he decided to come. He and his wife Monse came and. Uh, they're here with us. and How cool is this? And he's doing thing. such a great job. Well, you I know, mean, that sounds good because just... often families working together doesn't turn out all that well. And in your case, it sounds like this is a good a good fit for everyone. It is great. You know, I'm, I, I would really love to start backing into retirement. Yeah. Um, and Carson is learning and, and growing in the business. Our daughter, Julia, is still in Memphis which is another one of those stories. I tried everything I could. She wanted nothing would do her but to go away for college. Right. And so I begged and begged and begged because she's my princess. 
please stay close to home for college. Right. So she finally decided to commit to University of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And then about two or three weeks after that's when I got the call to move to Montana. <laughs> I was like, oh, baby, by the way. <laughs> so she's still in Memphis. Well, you have family there, I, mean, I would imagine. You have people. No, we no. left her. Yeah. So there's no one else in Memphis other than your daughter. Yeah. Correct. Just Lord good friends. Her there and left <laughs> your princess. <laughs> but we've got some good we've got some good friends there who yeah, watch good over friends. her. Back to jewelry for a second. Here. Yes, sir. What are the trends? You know, if, if you're speaking to the consumer public out there over the radio, what are the trends people ought to pay attention to in the jewelry business these days? Trending right now is everyday jewelry. I want to be able to ladies want to be able to put it on wear it all day to work, and then if they've got a function to go to after work, it's the same jewelry they go in. No more of this, my dress jewelry and my my daytime jewelry. Right. It's The trends are things that are wearable every day, and you just put it on and enjoy it. The other thing I've noticed, because it's happened to me in the last couple of years, that there's, there's a trend in men's jewelry. There are more and more men, you know, and I pick this up from my nieces and nephews. Right. You know, I never wore a bracelet, <coughs> bracelet on my hand before. Or a necklace. Or that kind of stuff. But I've noticed that. And is that, is that happening also in, in your world? It is not happening as much here. Um, chains, yes. And the problem with chains is if I have 50 chains in the store, the man that comes in will want chain 51. Right. So I have access to those things. We can look at them. Uh, I'm not going to try to sell you something that I have. I'm going to show you what I can have for you, and it can be here tomorrow. Right. So, you know, men are wearing chains, not so much bracelets. You'll get a one, one here and there. We do have a few in the store, but... Um, yeah, it's more of an urban thing, I think, really. Exactly. How much has technology, like, how much has the Apple Watch or, like, things like technology kind of eaten into the traditional jewelry business? Because that is the most popular watch now. I think that's a, there's a statistic that it is the most... Right, you know, uh, sold watch. Yeah, it's the most sold. Bar none. I'm wearing a watch from hey, you're the really oldest, a, an analog the, watch. I'm wearing a watch from the oldest watch company in still in existence, Blancpain, mm-hmm. that's been around since 1700. And the most popular watch is something that didn't exist ten years ago, five years ago. Yeah. The right. answer to your question is, I think it has affected the watch world significantly, especially with the younger generation. Um, the older guys, you know, us guys, we like we like a a brand watch. We like a fine watch. And there are still some younger people who do, but a lot of the younger people are going to have uh, Fitbit was a big thing for a while. Right, right. right. Uh, then the Apple Watch came in. So the Apple Watch is the number one seller, and everybody has one of those. Uh, some of the manufacturers became very creative and started making knockoff bands for the Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. So you could. Uh, accessorize your Apple Watch. With Still, it's not the same thing. But. Well, no. you know what it is interesting? I am now looking, I'm trying to find my old watch. My old, I think of a, a Patek Philippe, is that it? Oh, yeah, Philippe? that's a very I had that back, you know, way before I had this watch, and I want to find it again, because I do miss the idea of, like, just some type of piece of jewelry that's... You mean you've lost, you special, lost it? I can't find it. I don't know you where better I go it. find it. They're worth a lot of money. <laughs> They're worth a lot, lot of, of money. money. It's one of the most, one of the one or two most expensive watches mm-hmm. in the world. Wait a minute. Then it can't be that. It has to be a different brand. <laughs> if it, if it, <laughs> it is, is a Patek Philippe, you have that confused with Timex. <laughs> they're all they're all handmade. Pateks are That's all handmade. No no machine make anything. They it's I mean it's one of the one of the finest timepieces in the world. I can't afford one. Find I can't afford one. You better go find it. Yeah. All I know, well, look. I'll look through your garage. Look through <laughs> it's somewhere. Um, tell us this. 
You know, you actually brought this to my attention a number of years ago, talking about family businesses, and that this is an odd situation where their son actually followed them to be part of the business. But the trend has been there is no play, there is no secession planning, right? right? Succession planning. Kids leave, nobody wants to be in the business. You have the opposite scenario. We do. Carson graduated with a degree in finance from the University of Tennessee. And so that has translated very well for us because uh, he can call on his education to help us in some of the – advise us in some of the financial things. And he's just got a really entrepreneurial mind and mindset. Right. Uh, he definitely does. Loves the – yeah, you've, you've met him. You get him talking and you just yeah. sit back and listen. Uh, he gets so excited about it. So having that excitement – and just a sponge to learn mm-hmm. and, and grow in the business is, just makes me feel very comfortable right. about passing it along. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll ask Michael what he misses most about Memphis. Back after this. Arnie Sherman, we are back with our guest, Michael Bonner from L&M Fine Jewelry. So L&M took over the space that used to be Adair's uh, Bridal Center. Right. How did that transition work out? Well, it was very interesting. We learned some things that we didn't know when we came in. And anytime you, you come in and occupy a space where someone else was, there's, you know, there's some reputation things there that you need to address. And we worked through that. Right. Uh, if you come in now, uh, you'll find a completely different atmosphere, a completely different world, and a whole different business in there. Right. And we're excited about the future and what's going on. Uh, having customers who come in, they feel like they've, they're part of the family. That's what we want. We want you to feel like you're really welcome, you're really appreciated. And so it, it took a little while to get there, but right. we've overcome that hurdle. And Right. So you took over the space, but you didn't essentially take over the business. It's a completely different brand. Your brand has nothing to do with what preceded you. That's correct. The only, the only thing that's the same is the showcases that were there, um, the empty showcases. We filled them with new things. We brought a new attitude in. We brought a new uh, excitement in. So that's, totally different. That's great. And how about staffing? Like, you know, did you have to staff up? Uh, you retained the number of people as well. Well, we, we kept the bookkeeper. And uh, then Kathy, the manager, uh, we'd be crazy to let her go. She is wonderful. She knows everybody in town. If she's not related to them, she knows them somehow, <laughs> some way. I love and, Kathy. And she's just fantastic. Um, and then when Carson came, one of the caveats for him coming is we, we brought his roommate from college with him also. Ah. So, so uh, Carson, Carson came with a friend. So he didn't, he didn't have to <laughs> and go he's cold married. turkey. And he's married. So he came with a beautiful wife, and she's really the reason why I wanted him to come because, uh, you know. Right. She's your market. She's your target market. Yes. We get, we get her, and then Carson comes as a. So how many employees do you have? It sounds like it's the whole, you brought half of Memphis here. Memphis <laughs> is a barren city these days. We have, we have Kathy Jenkins, who is our store manager, uh, and then Carson, our son. Cameron is, was Carson's college roommate. Uh, Cameron has a degree in neuroscience. I don't know what that has to do with jewelry, but uh, he's a smart guy. We're, we're <laughs> glad to have him. Uh, then we have Bree Skinner, who is our goldsmith, and she she upped the level significantly. She is, she is wonderful. We love her. Then my wife, Landy, and Annette work in the back doing the bookkeeping. And for those of our listeners who don't know where you are, how do they get a hold of you? How do they find you? Awesome. We're 3465 American Way. Uh, everyone seems to know where Mod Pizza is. So right off of reserve, 
Uh, we share the parking lot with Mod Pizza, the big building. If you happen not to be a pizza person, we're right in front of Home Depot. Got it. That's so, so the most important question, because we always talk about food, and I think the answer to this is going to be a food answer, I think. What do you miss the most about Memphis? <laughs> well, you know, there is the barbecue issue. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's some great barbecue. There's some great food in Memphis. But here's what we have done. My wife and I are foodies, so we go out to try to hit a different place every week if we can. There's some awesome food in Missoula. Okay, what do you like? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us uh, some recommendations. Well, we went to we went to the Keep this past week. Keep okay, is good. good. Yeah, very good. Wonderful. Uh, Pangea, we love. They've uh, just changed their menu and they got new the things menu. going on there. Yes, Plonk. Plonk's yes. good. One yes. of our favorites. Uh, we even had we had a, a lady who came in who worked out at the Buck Snort. Yep, been to the Buck Snort. Oh you yeah, that's been a, there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Have you been to it's the Boxcar box Bistro yet? I have not. Been you want to, to try Boxcar? It's on my it's, list. It's good. It's a good place. Have you been to Buck Snort? I have on Prime Rib Night. Yeah, oh Prime Rib Night. Arnie, we should go. I've been there many times. It's if you want about a. 2,000 calories worth of prime rib. That's oh, yeah, the place to yeah, go. Yeah. Well, you fast. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Fasted. Well, yeah, I eat it fast. Lastly, so family, friends, are st- or friends are still back in Memphis. Have you started the proselytizing of, like, you got to come out to Montana to visit? Like, have you had visitors, a lot of visitors from back? We've had a lot of family visitors so far. Okay. And one of the things I'm excited about, Julia, my daughter, played volleyball that um, – through club club volleyball all the okay. way up and through high school. So we became volleyball parents, and we were just Julia's parents. And we met some really wonderful people. And there was a group of us that formed. We, we have a, a text a text group together now. We call each other the Cool Dads. <laughs> K-U-H-L, not cool. Uh, but uh, we're all planning uh, a reunion sometime this next year, uh, and they all want to come here, so... We did have one couple we, we met, and we did some snowmobiling and snowing last wow. winter. So, yeah, that's everybody wants to come out here. Michael Michael Bonner is a Montanan, as is, is Landy and Carson and the crew. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Pleasure having you on the show. It's, it's really great pleasure. to catch up with you and hear about the business. All and right. your life. And your life. Arnie, I'll see you next Sunday. See you next Sunday, Scott. Take care. Thank you for listening to What Do You Know?, I can't wait for the next show, Scott. I'm excited too, Arnie. If you'd like to suggest a guest, send me an email at scottrichman at townsquaremedia.com. We'll see you next week. And thanks for listening to News Talk KGVO. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.